Welcome to Prim and Proper. I'm Elizabeth Hathaway. And I'm Marinella Mazzucato. Uh, Marinella, I know I texted you saying I wanted to talk a little bit about something before we delved into our uh, our topic today, which is our favorite women authors. But what I did not tell you when I texted you is that I have a pop quiz question for you. Oh, no. Okay, good, because I would have really not been good if I had to take a prepared test. I struggle with those. <laughs> okay, so. God forbid I studied. <laughs> well, in in line, though, with our theme of women authors, I looked up, so there is each year, although I guess apparently they skip some years, but mainly each year they give a Pulitzer Prize for fiction. It used to be the Pulitzer Prize for novel, but now it's just strictly fiction, so it could be shorter stories as well. And it was awarded first in 1918, but there are some years where they haven't selected a winner for whatever reasons. But since then, there have been 89 winners. How many of them do you think were women of the 89? Since 1918? Yep. Oh, man. I'm going to say three. You know, okay. And maybe I should have... uh, (laughs) Maybe I should have said it's more than you'll think. But it's still not great. Uh, It's actually 31. Oh, okay. It's not half. It's better than I thought. No, it's actually 35%. I did the math. Yeah. It's yeah. 15% less than half. I was hoping it'd be, you know, closer to half when I did see 31, but then I like, you know, I can't do that math in my head. So I typed it into my phone calculator and it told me 35%. I assumed that they were just going to screw them all years and that was going to be it. So, Well, I will say like going through the list, I mean, I didn't look this detail but definitely the trend is there are more women chosen more recently so if you go back to the early stages of it it is predominantly men so if i'd asked you this question like 20 years ago i think it would have been quite a bit less Mm -hmm. we're starting to slowly get recognized who was the last one do you know yeah, was or when the was woman, the last? Yeah. I'm pretty sure it was the woman who wrote Goldfinch. I cannot think of her name, but I think she was the last Pulitzer Prize woman winner. And that book came out, I don't know, like three, four years ago. I did not expect we're, you to give me a pop quiz. Response. We're due. Well, you know what? Surprise. Gotcha. I gotcha. Yeah, I think it was the author who wrote Goldfinch, and I feel bad I cannot think of her name maybe I can google it as we're talking um but she was the I think last female winner of the Pulitzer Hmm. let's see oh man you type in goldfinch and it just wants to take you to the bird which Ah. you know is adorable little yellow bird but not very helpful okay the goldfinch Donna Tart. Donna Tart is her name. Okay. So, because it actually, they choose a particular work. So, like, that was the book that won, and she's the author. Oh, I always thought it was, like, based on the author, not the book. So, learn something new today. Yeah, I think it's their selected work, because certain authors, um, like William Faulkner has won twice, I believe. 
I don't know if there's I think there's like one other person that's won it twice I wonder if it has to be the year that you released and released the book like, yeah you can't it is. just be pulling some book off of a shelf and they're like wow this book we just discovered is good actually let's give her a prize that kind of sucks actually <laughs> you really need to make sure it's coming out hot <laughs> yeah and like a year kind of reminds me of like the Oscars or any of those award shows where some years, you know, there's like three or four movies that you could see winning Best Picture. And then some years you're like, these are all crappy movies. And if just one of the movies that was so great a couple of years ago came out during this non-competitive year, they would have won. I think that's kind of the same with the Pulitzer Prize. It's like it is the year that it it's published. And so I think some years there's a lot of amazing books and then other years it's maybe a little more slim pickings for who to select yeah i mean these last couple of years probably were not very inspirational for a lot of people so maybe i don't know it'd be yeah. hard to write it'd be hard to write right now yeah although maybe now that we're getting a little perspective on the last couple of years we might have some good stuff coming down the pipeline because mm-hmm. Lord only knows we've had some worldwide trauma. <laughs> we really have. Ugh. Oh, well, here's the question that I uh, prepared you for. So I was, as I was going through thinking of my favorite women authors, I, and you may know this, I, for a very brief time, was a lit major in college. I changed that path, but it, it got me thinking. I took a fair amount of lit courses in college and then of course I took four years of literature in high school or English whatever it was called and I was trying to remember how many women authors like you know books by women authors I had read how many do you think you've read can you recall any I mean the only book I can recall reading in high school maybe it might have been To Kill a Mockingbird Harper Lee I don't I don't really know if there's anybody else yeah, I think nothing in, memorable. That was the only one I could recall from high school as well was To Kill a Mockingbird by Harper Lee. That was mm-hmm. it. And then in college, I read The Age of Innocence by Edith Warden. Um, so I guess two. And granted, I didn't get a full degree in literature. I did not, you know, I only took a handful of courses, but that's still really bad. It really is. Like, I, I, I mean, in, in college, I don't. I mean, I don't know if I had any class that surrounded around reading anything. I did take one class. It was called Queer Theory. Hmm. And I just took it with a bunch of gay people. We thought it was going to be about being gay. Hello. It was not. <laughs> <laughs> so, like, one by one, we were just, like, dropping off like like flies. Like, this, cl- this class is really hard. This is really complicated stuff. But a lot of the people we were reading were women it's just it was so above my brain that I was just like not there for it so I wish I could remember but man yeah did we roll in there with some rainbows we were like yeah we're gonna learn all about being gay wait a minute this is not (laughs) what this is about I'm gonna totally understand myself by the end of this oh it's not a (laughs) self-exploration I know about this topic very well the only other one that came to mind, but I feel like I read this more in middle school, not high school, was The Diary of Anne Frank. Yes, yeah. Yeah. And that's only because it's like, 
God, isn't that just the way we're taught World War II in the Holocaust? I mean, that's pretty much one of the only like you know. Yeah, don't talk about anything else besides that. Pretty much, yeah. Right. We certainly didn't read any books on uh, Japanese Americans being in internment camps, which is unfortunate because I don't think mm. I learned about that till adulthood. Yeah, me neither. So thanks, U.S. education system. <laughs> yeah. Special shout out to Florida. Not sure, but I feel like that had a big part of it. <laughs> I am feeling like I have a child left behind that I did not realize Japanese Americans <laughs> were put in internment camps. Don't worry. They'll get you on the FCAT oh. if it's still existent. Yeah, right. Thank goodness I can do the Pythagorean theorem. Thank goodness. You're alone on that. <laughs> Anyhow, do you want to kick us off with your first uh, favorite woman author? Sure. My favorite woman author right now is, um, I, and I don't know if I'm pronouncing it correctly, but I feel like it is, is Sarah Moss or Ma- Mass. It's spelled M-A-A-S. Oh, I don't know if I'm familiar. She is a fantasy writer, and actually a co-worker got me into into her because she said it's like kind of escaping your world. And I, all the rest of my favorite authors are uh, not fiction writers. So this is like the one mm-hmm. fiction writer I got into, and she writes like her most, I think, recent is like, um, it's a series called uh, Court of Thorns and Roses. It's kind of like the backstory of... Beauty and the Beast, almost. Oh, interesting. It's like digging back into that, like from the other perspective of like what it really was, and it's, I mean, it, it's completely fantasy, but it's just very holds your attention, and it's kind of like she's. It's almost like Game of Thrones, but it's in writing. Well, I love fantasy, and, um, like, I've read all the Game of Thrones books, the, the ones that are published. I've read, you know, Lord of the Rings and The Hobbit. Um, and I didn't necessarily add this person to my list to fully talk about, but um, I I've, I've was certainly thinking about her because she's also a fantasy writer. Her name is N.K. Jemison. And she won, like, the Hugo Award, which is for fantasy writers. She's actually the first person to have ever won it three consecutive years. And she won it for her Broken Earth series, which I haven't read yet. I read a different book of hers called The City We Became and really enjoyed it. So I want to read the Broken Book, or the Broken Earth series. Um, so that might be another one to check out if you like fantasy, Marinella. But also, thank mm. you for this recommendation, because I would love to add another female fantasy author to my list since like i love fantasy and it's usually men who write fantasy so that's exciting yeah and if you opt for an audiobook the narration is very good i know a lot of times like the narration can kill the book but the actual narrating is uh, it's engaging still so that's kind of what i've been trying to do when i'm not because you can't really get um, physical books as easy right now for some reason. Yeah, there's a problem with paper. Yeah, paper is a problem a right now. Supply shortage. Yeah. Do you know? Does she do her own um, audio book narration, or is it like an actor that does it? Um, uh, I don't think it's her. I think somebody else does it. Good to know, though. Yeah, I don't think it's her reading it. Yeah. 
Because that is always like a worry of mine yeah. with audiobooks is, you know, whether or not I can get into like their their voice and the, the way they tell the story and yada, yada, yada. Um, so good to yeah. know. Yeah. Yeah. If, mm. if they change character voices and all that. Very important. Mm-hmm. Well, my yeah. absolute favorite author uh, of all time is, it, and this maybe is almost a little bit cliche, I feel like, because I, I think a lot of women have gone into her, but it's Jane Austen, and I just think she is the bee's knees. I So I got into Jane Austen kind of in a interesting pathway. You know the movie Clueless? Oh, Yes. As if I do. Yes, I do. <laughs> <laughs> well, I love Clueless. I was obsessed with it. And then I found out at some point that it's um, like a modernization of Jane Austen's Emma. And so that kind of like, that was the pathway of leading me into Jane Austen's world. But also another fucking favorite movie of mine, Bridget Jones's Diary, is a modernization of Pride and Prejudice. I did not know that. I mean, everything. But it makes she, sense. Yeah. Well, I mean, it does make sense. Uh, and like the little, the, the little obvious nod. I, I mean, I hate to say obvious because it's just a name, but uh, that he's called Colin Firth's character is Mr. Darcy, or his, his name is Darcy. Oh yeah. Bridget Jones' diary, and that's he's the Mr. Darcy character. Yeah. Um, but I think it's just so interesting that like the concepts that she talked about are still so applicable that you can kind of tell the story but in obviously a modern you know she wrote in the 17 late 1700s early 1800s so uh you know you have to like modernize it to like today's events people have cars now and yeah like today's events but the fact that like a lot of what she talked about is still relevant is is just very interesting to me um and I think her stories are miscategorized often as like romances, like she writes romance novels, but she really actually wrote, it's more like scathing commentary of the times and like society's expectations. And and it's kind of actually a little bit of a satire, um, more so than a romantic comedy. and I have to say, like, I'll, I'll do Pride and Prejudice because I feel like if anyone's ever read a Jane Austen book, they're probably read Pride and Prejudice. But Elizabeth turning down Darcy's proposal is like, which we don't necessarily think of in modern times as being what it was back then. But back then, like marriage meant that you gave up your money, like your family gave a dowry and then the husband controlled all of it. You gave up your body you gave up any intellectual pursuits or education. Like you weren't allowed to do any of that stuff once you became married. You were, I mean, essentially property of your husband, right? I mean, the the fact that it was like transactional that like your father and your family gave the husband a dowry of stuff and therefore the husband like accepted you. I mean, like, holy cow, it's just really kind of icky. And mm-hmm. so for Elizabeth Bennett to to say no to a marriage proposal. I mean, she was like going against such the expectations of her time, um, you know, that she just, that she was going to be empowered to to not have that life if she didn't want it. Um, 
anyways pretty yeah that's some pretty uh racy stuff for back then to try to challenge that so yeah definitely it was and interestingly she so she's very well known today i feel like most people know or at least have heard of jane austen even if they've never read her books she published at the time anonymously and she basically had no like um contemporary like acknowledgement or renown when she was a writer so she's only become like famous subsequently like after her death and some of her books were even published posthumously they they weren't published when she was alive so it's also kind of sad that like she lived a life without getting recognition or understanding at all that she would have an impact on the world yeah that does why does that happen that happens with so many artists I wonder if there are still books that she's written anonymously that people don't know about. I don't know, because I actually do think, like, her family had most stuff kept intact. And, like, some of the books written posthumously or uh, published posthumously, um, I think, were her only, like, completed works or close to completed works. I think maybe she... I think anything that she's written was, for the most part, preserved. So... um, I mean, I guess it's possible she wrote something and, like, destroyed it, or she, I'm sure, had, like, other ideas for stuff that maybe just never came to fruition. But I actually do think we have most of what she wrote, actually, like, in existence today. I think I should probably start picking up some older books and, like, there's a lot of, like, classic stuff that I just don't remember reading. Like, I know I did. Either I, you know, did once or twice, but now I'm like, Maybe I'll see these things differently at this age. Uh, So I've reread a couple of Jane Austen books, and I definitely do see them through, like, a different lens. Um, And I'm sure it's just, like, my life experiences, right? Like, reading it as a 18, 19-year-old, you kind of see the world through those eyes. And then as a now 38-year-old. Oh, Oh, yeah. Let's turn 38 yesterday. (laughs) Hello. Forgot to sing happy birthday. no. I won't sing. I want people to. But you know, obviously, still listen to the podcast. So, <laughs> yeah, you definitely. And I just, as an advanced warning, when it becomes your birthday in a few months, I will not be singing for you for the exact same reasons. I think we're both maybe tone deaf, and we don't need to be putting that on our audience at all. Yeah, <laughs> so. you guys deserve better from me, so it's fine. <laughs> But yeah, I mean, reading her, I'm actually thinking of rereading all of her books this year. And to your point, though, I think you see things in a very different perspective just because you've different experiences to pull on and different, you know, a different point of view at this point in my life. So who do you got next? Who do I got next is Glennon Doyle, you know? Um, So I like Glennon Doyle because, well, her, her last book, Untamed, obviously... If you've read it and you're a woman, you have kind of can just identify with all the different parts of it of when you're just completely like, I'm done being this person and keeping my shit together and being so just, I guess not to say compliant, but that's really what it is, where you're just like, okay, I'm going to go along with all these rules that people have set for me. And I mean, this is the first book I've read where someone was just completely like, hmm, no, and this this writer, Glennon Doyle, previous to this, like, wrote a book about how she was going to turn her 
marriage around to this man like she was married and she wrote a book about how like basically she was saving her marriage and it didn't work out and so her next book mm-hmm. was like i mean kind of like admitting like hey whatever i wrote before didn't really work out and it's okay oh i like that it's very authentic yeah and it's refreshing yeah i've not read untamed but multiple people including some of the women in our little friend group have recommended it and it seems like a book to be right up my alley i don't know why i haven't done it yet i probably should add it to my list of books um it kind of though hearing you say this concept of like compliance and you know needing to like follow the rules and i know that these are things we've definitely touched on before especially like when we i forget even what what topic we were discussing but we were saying how like I think boys are allowed to be boys and they can be, you know, like make mistakes and be little jerks and whatever. And, and girls are encouraged to to follow the rules and to be compliant. And, um, you know, there's like a, a socialization aspect to that. But what I was going to say um, is I've been talking to a couple coworkers at work. I don't know if you've watched any. I haven't watched any, but I've, I've seen some of the recaps of Supreme Court nominee uh, Katanji Brown or Jackson, I'm sorry, Katanji oh, Jackson. Oh, yes. You know, yes. Um, first <laughs> black woman to be nominated to Supreme Court. And I just can't help but notice, like, between her and, like, Brett Kavanaugh, you know, the guy who uh, has been credibly accused of sexual assault. Uh, yeah. Mm-hmm. Um, it's like men are allowed to be messy and untamed and they can still reach like the highest levels of success whereas like she is like above reproach she's done everything right in life you know she's she went to school she was a public defender helping to defend people who you know didn't have money and they have a constitutional right to have a defense and she did that and like you know she's she's done like everything by the book and yet she still like gets grilled and is at risk of maybe not getting the, you know, actually being appointed to be a justice. And it's, like, mind-boggling to me that someone like Brett Kavanaugh can so succeed in life despite being a major fuck-up constantly. And for a woman, especially a woman of color, she has got to be goddamn perfect if she wants any shot at that thing, whatever that thing is. Yeah, I I mean, I've been, like, so I I just leave the news on for when I go to work and Marley's here so she can, like, learn all the things. (laughs) But I'm walking in and every every day I'm like, what, what is, I mean, it's always on that now. And I'm like, what are they, what are they trying to get out of this woman? I'm I'm not too clear because I'm always just catching the parts where I'm like, man, they're being really nasty to her. I mean, I I guess I'm not sure what the problem is. (laughs) I mean, I think some of it is just like the process has a lot of stupid pomp and circumstance, no matter who you are. I think it's like a bunch of senators want to have like their moment in the spotlight to grill you and feel important and whatever. But uh, I also think a lot of the questioning just really kind of shows you how unfair the, the world is to like a woman that's trying to move up versus a man trying to move up. Anyways... <laughs> <laughs> Not to make this episode about <laughs> you don't gotta tell Supreme me Supreme Court. <laughs> 
I'll move yeah. on to my next lady of the hour. And it is the mistress of mystery, the queen of crime, the duchess of death, Miss Agatha Christie. <laughs> okay. Have you ever read any say, of her books? Going with this? Okay. <laughs> no, but I know, I know like of some of her books. Yeah. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So she, those are like nicknames she has been given. I, uh, I used to actually love to, I don't, I don't know why I stopped doing it, but I used to love going into used bookstores and looking for old Agatha Christie uh, novels because I just like collecting them. I probably have 20 Agatha Christie. I think she's written 70-ish books, um, and I probably have like 20 of them. I just, they're such fun reads. Like you can read them in an afternoon. You have a rainy day. I like a mystery because I like to like feel that I'm involved and I could try to solve it and figure out who did it. And she never makes mysteries where, you know, it's like, I feel like I've read a couple Sherlock Holmes and it's like the long lost uncle that you never heard about. He was the guy that actually did it. Like, that's not how she writes her characters. It's like you've got these 10 characters and one of them did it and you can try to solve along with her. Um, so I've always just kind of liked that about her. But also, I love Miss Marple. Do you know Miss her character, Miss Marple? No. Ugh. Tell me more. She is like the... Pr- so have you seen... Um, what's the Angela Lansbury murder she wrote? Yes. Yeah. So that's not Miss Marple, but I've always felt like it was inspired by Agatha Christie and Miss Marple because, she, because, uh, what was her name? Jessica, the character's name, Jessica Fletcher. I think her name is Jessica Fletcher. Um, she's very kind of. Miss I could Marple tell you exactly what she looks like, but that's about it. Yeah, <laughs> yeah, yeah. She's very Miss Marple esque. So it's like an older woman. Miss Marple's an older woman who is quote unquote a spinster. As far as I know she was never married or doesn't have any children. Like, it never mentions her family life, which I I kind of love. Like, I loved reading a book about a woman who had an interest. She was kind of an amateur sleuth. You know, she lived, she's the classic. She lived in this little small town where everybody was in everybody's business. And she's, like, in her home, spying on her neighbors. She hears about a murder, and she's like, I'm going to solve this shit. Like, that's who she is. Ooh. And I kind of want to be that person in my... (laughs) (laughs) I mean, don't you want to be her when you retire? Like, I would love to be... I am her right now. (laughs) (laughs) I am on Pinellas County Public Records finding shit out all day about people that don't know that I know this much. (laughs) But yes, I, you know, I want to solve some, some important murders and crimes not just know about DUIs. <laughs> well, it also reminds me of, of my friend Jen here in Chicago. Uh, she used to, we lived on the same block for a while, like four minute walk from each other. And she knew everything that was happening on the block. She would watch people like pull in and out of their vehicles. So her now husband on her birthday, I think it was her first birthday that they celebrated together. He got her a set of binoculars for her birthday. Ooh, Which was like yeah. the perfect gift, I think. Um, <laughs> he was like, I know who you are. Let me get you some binoculars to make your spying easier. Uh, so, yeah, I mean, who wouldn't want to be that Miss Marple character? She's 
It's fucking wonderful. And I just love that none of the stories are ever about like she needs to get a husband. No one ever comments to her on any of that. They're all like, wonder if she's going to solve the mystery. That's all. Thank God. About. We hear enough of that shit. Let's just stick to the what this lady is doing and not worry about who she is and all that stuff. Yeah. I'm about yeah, that. Yeah, absolutely. And, you know, so this was interesting. I did not know this, even though I I think I've read actually every Miss Marple book. But this is not something that would have been in the books. But I guess Agatha Christie got the inspiration to create that character after one of her most famous books, The Murder of Roger Ackroyd, was made into a play. And one of the characters, and it's an older woman, and the director of the play, a man who shall not be named, uh, turned that older woman character into a young woman. And Agatha Christie was just like, oh, no, I want older women to have voices, so I'm going to create a detective, and then you therefore can't like erase her voice. Like, she's an older woman detective mm-hmm. um so that was like what inspired her was after one of her characters was kind of silenced i guess by being turned into something more uh attracting to an audience yeah like that's or attractive how do you go and change the characters like like that i don't understand right i mean some some like, some plays i can see why you would change a character just to be more like representative of like more modern day age thing and like more inclusive but sure yeah but to like just change a character and be essentially less inclusive and just do it to attract audience members who might want to see a younger woman in Mm. that role instead of an older woman it was just yeah so love me some agatha magatha is that what you said Agatha. Uh, okay. Okay. <laughs> Agatha Christie. I didn't know if that was another nickname. I was like, ooh, what's going on here? Okay. Well, no, I can no, already no, no. tell. I can already tell that we're, we're going to have very different books every time because I'm going straight self-help here. <laughs> I love it, though. Yeah. I'm writing down what you're suggesting because I have been meaning to read more nonfiction, so I'm here for it. Keep it cool. rolling. Um, my next author is Brene Brown. Um, yes. And she wrote a book in particular that I, I read and loved, and it was it's called I Thought It Was Just Me, But It Isn't. And it kind of talks a lot mm. about, like, how shame just influ- – basically most of her writing is, like, about how shame influences so much of – like what you decide for your life, how you feel about yourself, like just it's like the the hub of most people's struggles is like how they feel such shame and nobody talks about it. And this book kind of like it kind of sheds light on how more people feel this than we think. And the perspectives on it were really helpful for me. And I just it helped me through a tough time. That's all I can say. Pick it up. I have, um, I've not read anything by Brene Brown, and I really should because I've listened to like her TED Talks, and I know she has a podcast. I think it's like Unlocking Me or something like that. I've listened yeah. to it a few times, like a couple different, you know, episodes that sound interesting or whatever. And I love her. I mean, she's really thoughtful. Her perspective, I really appreciate. 
she knows her stuff. I mean, she's researched these things very thoroughly that that she like focuses on. Um, so I don't know why I haven't read her books. I should do yeah. that. I'm adding think, it to the list. Yeah, I think you would like this one because it's like it talks a lot about perfectionism and like you know how it's like a mm, nagging thing yes. that we all feel like that we need to do it, and it 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 doesn't per se talk about women but i can tell a lot of it is towards the perspective of women more than more than men for sure i wonder you know i feel like when i think of shame i often think i i mean i hate to say men don't experience it because i know they do and i don't mean that but i feel like i know so many more women who experience shame mm-hmm. than and maybe it's just because men hide it or it like manifests differently or they don't talk about it or whatever and women maybe are more apt to or just I open up to more women and they open up to me and I just have a smaller sample size of men but it feels like shame is like a really common theme amongst women I know especially in relation like in sex and relationships yeah I think because there is more of that um idea of who like we're supposed to be and it's like more and more expressed and I feel like maybe men have a little bit more freedom of who they're supposed to be whereas women it's kind of like we all kind of know this is what we're supposed to be like this is like the ideal it's been made very clear to us so I feel like it's just easier to feel that shame just based on the pressures that are put on us yeah, I think that's a really good point. I don't expect anything from men at all. I just am like, what? You just do whatever you want. But they expect a lot from yeah. me. <laughs> <laughs> they sure do. Case in point, your male boss who called you right before we started recording and Correct. didn't read the emails he was copied on to ask yeah. you some questions. <laughs> yeah. Oh, boy. That's all he had to do. Can't expect him to read emails. No, I no, not no. expect him to read emails. No, no, no. I can't tell you how many times, uh, not to go off on a tangent, but... Do it. I get a phone call from said boss to tell me how to write an email from myself in his words to people that he should just be emailing himself. Like, he wants to put the words from my mouth to make them sound like I'm like total agreeance when and and I would just write something completely different if it was up to me I would I, I mean it, it ultimately is up to me but when I write them I, I'm just saying I would never be writing this in this way this was such a long way to do this but anyway mm. well uh right on time our ambulance siren, <laughs> siren <laughs> noise it's about two-thirds <laughs> of the way through the episode, so I watch. Yeah, that's true. Time. Yep, we are right on time. <laughs> You're right on time. Well, my last author, I have some other women who kind of came to mind, but when I was thinking of favorite authors, this was kind of the last one I wanted to round out, and it's Joyce Carol Oates. I don't know if you're familiar with her. She writes predominantly like short stories, uh, and she has probably my favorite, not probably, definitely my favorite short story of all time, and I reread it 
I don't know, at least once a year probably, it's where you go and where you been. And it is, I like don't almost want to give anything away, but it's about a like teenage girl and this strange man pulls up in a car outside of her home and is just creepy as fuck. And you know that he's going to a abductor. Like you just, there's something I think about being a woman and reading it and just like all your spidey senses are going up and you're like, oh, there's something like very wrong here. The situation isn't good. And then at one point when he kind of like in like a really sweet voice like is essentially threatening her but he has this like sickly sweet way that he's talking to her and he makes a comment of you know you'll find out what happens to you but it will be like one or two things maybe and he like does it there's just something about it that is like the most terrifying like my body even though I know he's gonna say that line like my body shivers because he never explicitly says what he's going to do to her. And so it's like you fill it in with your like worst fears of like, you know, what someone would do to you. And there's just something so like visceral about reading it. Um, So maybe it's not for everyone because it's like a very, I I feel it in my bones, uh, but it's just such a, fucking terrifying little story so thank you Joyce Carol Oates (laughs) (laughs) oh I can't read to that's a little bedtime situation you know when you want to have a nice little nightmare that night go ahead and read where you going where you been (laughs) hey it's probably not much different than the episodes of euphoria that I was watching for a while there before bed and I was like oof (laughs) It's going to produce some bad dreams. And it did. So, yeah, I would read that. Why not? Enjoy. You can thank me later. <laughs> thank you. Um, I have one more author, and then I'm, I'm done with my list. And it is um, Melanie Beattie. Heard of her? Another self-help no. person. So, a lot of my therapy revolved around... Um, seeing patterns of codependency and my therapist um gave me some resources when we like finished up our therapy sessions like not that i've quit on therapy but i've taken like you know some time away from it and she told me to check out codependence anonymous so the first Mm -hmm. thing i did was get the material and like the book and everything and i just was like reading through this and i was like I don't necessarily agree with this being something that I have no control over. Like, mm. I can appreciate some of the stuff in it, but like the book just made it seem like I'm going to have this for the rest of my life and there's absolutely nothing I can do about it. So I was like, well, maybe there's other resources I can explore. And I found Melanie Beattie in her book, Codependent No More, was an approach of like, okay, like, I'm trying to I'm trying to do these things and control others because it's my way of staying safe and this more so explain like you can change how you think, you can change what you control, you can focus on yourself and it kind of was like, okay, I'm not fucked. 
And this was like, there's other books she's written, but this was the book that really set it home for me. Hmm. Interesting. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I like I like the idea of empowerment. And, you know, that's the interesting thing about all 12-step, because Codependence Anonymous is 12-step programming, just like Alcoholics yeah. Anonymous, which I think is a thing most people are familiar with. And it is about, like, you don't have control over the thing and giving up control to the higher power um, is kind of – because it, it has its roots, Alcoholics Anonymous and all 12-step programming has its roots in – Christianity, even though you don't necessarily have to be a believer in God to, you know, attend any of those, um, the higher power could be like the group or whatever. But uh, yeah, I don't think it fits for everybody, right? And it, I don't know, mental health and these fields in general are kind of fascinating to me. Like, people do find success with twelve-step programming, and the ones who do, that's like amazing. That's awesome. Like, I'm all for it. But there's a lot of people who don't find success in it and um, continue to struggle with whatever the thing is. And they're, they're starting to be a lot more alternatives to, like, for, for example, with Alcoholics Anonymous or even, like, Narcotics Anonymous or, like, there's a Marijuana Anonymous, any of the drug ones. Uh, there's, like, Smart Recovery, which takes a very different, you know, theoretical approach to recovery uh oh no we might have a we might lose a mic here we've got walter on the prowl Uh oh um, watch out watch out <laughs> uh so anyways I, i'm glad you brought that up because i think for anyone listening you know that that struggles with codependency it is good to know that there's alternatives and i'm i guess i'm just sharing that if you are in any 12-step program for anything and you're finding that it's not helpful, there's alternatives. And if it is helpful, good for you. Keep doing it. That's my philosophy on it. If you find something that helps, like I'm not here, as long as you're not harming anyone else and getting your help, I don't care what it is that helps you. Yeah, or like maybe I can pick up that book now and not feel so like attacked in some ways or I'm Mm. like, I feel like maybe reading this, understanding myself a little better, I can kind of go back to that book and see, like, okay, maybe I'll take this from here. But perhaps I will not, you know, I forget what step it is where you, like, uh, make amends to people you were codependent towards. Like, I just couldn't couldn't see myself doing that. I was like, Mm. I can't do it. I just can't do it. Like, I can't see that being helpful for me. But Melanie Beattie, definitely recommend reading her nice here's my dog yipping it up i know (laughs) we probably don't know how to edit that sound out out either (laughs) (laughs) oh yeah doing great here doing great (laughs) well um we've got one more week in march so i think we are gonna have one more week of favorite women so hopefully oh yeah We'll decide on what that is, yeah. (laughs) Yeah, it's to be determined. We haven't quite decided yet, but tune in next week for our final week of celebrating women. Yes. Well, not our final week. Oh, my gosh. That made it sound like I'm never going to celebrate women again. (laughs) I just meant for March. Yeah, Yeah, we celebrate women all the time here, but we're really tooting the horn next week. Yeah. Tooting it. (laughs) Bye, everyone. See ya. <laughs>